Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Many thanks to Bethany LC. Welcome to Headliners, the show where three funny people attempt the seemingly impossible, draw humour from the day's headline stories. I'm Mark Dolan, and the first of our comedy alchemists is Steve N. Allen. And joining in the wizardry, well, he's got a strange hat, Nick Dixon. And let's have a look, gentlemen, at tomorrow's front pages. And we'll start with the Daily Mail. Now, this is a story that appears on several papers. Rattled Starmer snubs the chance to clear the air, to clear the air. After leaked memo sinks his story and Labour insiders say he'll be axed if fined, Sir Keir pulls out of press grilling today. Keir Starmer was running scared last night as the Beergate scandal plunged his leadership into crisis. We'll get reaction from my brilliant guests on that in just one moment. Let's go to the Daily Telegraph next, shall we? And their headline, Putin is mirroring the Nazis, says the Defence Secretary Ben Wallace. Hay fever tablets run low as pollen peaks. And Govan Sunak meddling to stop Truss protocol plan. The Independent next, Ukraine refugees forced to live in unvetted homes. Another story we'll be covering. And Nkuti Gatwa is the new Doctor Who. Handsome chap, very talented actor. He is the new Time Lord. The Guardian next, more than two million Britons can't afford to eat every day and 60 feared dead in an air raid on a Ukraine school. A devastating school story, a horrific headline. Uh, next up, shall we go to the FT? And US hits Gazprom bank bosses as fresh sanctions focus on services. The Daily Mirror. Minder legend Dennis dies at the age of 74. Tributes to Star Waterman. Of course, he uh, was massive in the 70s. as uh, one half of a cop duo in the Sweeney. Minder and new tricks. He did it almost every decade. Families. Family's new energy shock is the other headline in the mirror. Direct debit bills hell. Direct debit payments have at least doubled for one in four energy users. Uh, this according to Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert. The Times next. Bonfire of EU laws in bid to boost the economy. Johnson plans revival with post-Brexit reboots. And Putin must suffer same fate as Nazis, says Ben Wallace. And finally, the Daily Star tributes as Minder star Dennis Waterman dies. Also, it's time to slap on that sunscreen, folks. Excuse me, sun cream. Hottest summer ever. 27 degrees on the way and we will be warmer than Italy. Four more record-breaking heat waves to come this year. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Let's end on a positive note. Those are your front pages. Monday's Guardian are reporting on issues with the Ukrainian refugee housing programme. Steve. Yeah, this is not looking good. So the government's uh, scrambling to rehouse hundreds of Ukrainians who've been granted visas because this is under the Homes for Ukraine scheme. I know there's two schemes they've got going on. Yeah. Um, but the people who should be housing them have now been deemed unsuitable. 
that some refugee charities warned about this. Part of it is because the way in which the matches start to happen via social media and Facebook. Why? Why was that the step one? They, you know, if you want something dodgy to happen, do it online. Seems yeah. like the, the weird... Thing. I don't even buy stuff from Facebook Marketplace because I'm a little bit worried. So the idea that you have a scheme that should be helping those who are vulnerable and it turns out some weirdos got involved because it's online. I'm not sure if we should be able to pull a surprise face. Um, okay. But the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities... Don't even care what the acronym is. It's a long title, that one, is it? Says that no visas should be issued until the Home Office has completed checks on every adult in the house. Mm. But clearly that's not happened because some have come up as, as uh, unsuitable. If you want someone to do a, a thorough background check from someone who's on Facebook, ask a woman in her 30s best friend. Because if ever you start dating one, wow. That CBS check that happens in that group of friends gets to the bottom of everything. Um, it's true, it's true. They do their due diligence at that point. Certainly do. Um, so, look, more should have been done, that's by the looks of it. Yeah. You know, more checks should have been done. There's another part of this story as well, which I found interesting, that refugees could be placed in um, uh, university accommodation, mm. but that's not been sorted out, but also it would mean they're the first bunch of people to leave university without being in massive debt. Could be an interesting sign. Yeah, what an interesting new experiment. Well, look, a concerning story. Uh, let's move on now to Monday's Times and more fallout, Nick, from the Sinn Féin election result in Northern Ireland. Yes, uh, Irish politics and tensions are, are really a welcome combo, but the headline is Sinn Féin winning Northern Ireland reignites Brexit tensions. We talked about it last night, I'm becoming some sort of Irish political expert, uh, which I didn't really wish to be, but I'll go through it briefly. Essentially, the DUP are sort of threatening to refuse to even join the executive unless the protocol is dealt with. Meanwhile, our old friends at the EU say they won't renegotiate it. So there was talk a while back, Liz Truss was talking to uh, Sevkovic, the vice president of the European Commission, but he's now saying that the EU would never have a mandate to renegotiate the protocol or go beyond existing proposals. So now the UK government is going to have to uh, bring forward primary le legislation to unilaterally switch off key parts of the protocol. So that's basically it's a sort of standoff. DUP is saying, we're not doing anything until you sort that protocol. EU is saying, well, we're not sorting it. So the government's going to have to somehow sort it themselves. And I've just been very objective because I don't take a, a strong view on Irish politics because I get enough hate mail already. Yeah, of course. Well, it is, it's a, you know... It's an existential issue for the people of Northern Ireland, that's the point. You've got a divided community, uh, a majority at this point who want to be part of the United Kingdom, but the tectonic plates, Steve, seem yeah. to be shifting. Indeed, and they're shifting in a way which the system isn't keeping up with. With such a large vote going for mm. this concept of an alliance, it doesn't... It, some people were clearly... Because we're all getting old now. There are loads of people who can vote who were born after the agreements were made. So they don't really have that same passion between this two yes. tribal way of doing things, yeah. but the power sharing doesn't take that into consideration. Mm. So it feels like there needs to be some sort of a way of changing to adapt to this third party in there. Mm. I mean, it will never happen. We can't even manage to get a third party working in politics when there's not that historic um, issues either. It's true. Um, but it's, it's interesting, Brexit's back. I mean, even if you like the idea of Brexit, are we now willing to ha have that conversation where we say people who said this wouldn't cause a problem with Northern Ireland... Mm before the, a referendum, might not have been getting the nail on the head. You know what I mean? Some people saw this coming, and even if you think Brexit is worth it, this doesn't have to be a Remainer point of view. This is an issue that some people saw coming, so why wasn't more done to prepare for it? Well, as with friction in relation to the transport of goods, as with the Northern Ireland Protocol, it will actually hurt the EU too, and they don't want to be seen to restart the troubles. So, yes, uh, I guess this is to do with Brexit, and, and you're right to point that out. We've got to sort of accept the positives and the negatives yeah. of Brexit, warts and all, um, but we are where we are, 
And it's not just our problem, it is a problem for Brussels as well. And I think that there needs to be strong diplomatic pressure on both sides to fix this. Because I don't think that the EU need to so overzealously police that invisible border. Yeah, and there was loads of talk before about EU, uh, European leaders wanting Britain to be seen to fail. It wasn't just enough to have a peaceful Brexit. Brit I think that's changing, other I than agree. possibly Macron. Yeah. But other than that, the idea of we need to be punished for it, it's, that's... I think a lot of the politics of it are beginning to wash away, aren't they? Yeah. Which is the only time when we can get solutions. So maybe... Are we being hopeful? They'll have to edit that out. Hope, yeah. Are you sure? What have they put in your tea? <laughs> uh, Nick Dixon. Hello. We interrupted you, which I consider a crime of both broadcasting and comedy. You didn't really. I think I think Steve covered it pretty well. It's uh, you know. Can you do better. I think you can EU, do better. Oh, of course, the EU. <laughs> yeah, they didn't exactly make it easy about the protocol. So there is that. If you want to get all remainery about it, but and it's also worth noting uh, there was a poll from January uh, that showed that 78% in Northern Ireland say that they need this protocol does need to change. So hopefully it will happen. Yeah, I mean it's a political headache for the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. But an opportunity if he gets this right, Nick. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know. yeah, I think you've covered it, Mark. I think we've you're coming to me as if I need to say loads more on this story. I've still got Can more. Can we go on back the, to the monkey <laughs> flu story <laughs> from last night? And you going to do it? Yeah, that's right. Well, yesterday we <laughs> talked about very sadly. There's a new monkey virus out. Yeah. Which is giving people strange bumps on their hands. I'm worried. Uh, Nick's basically got about five minutes of stand-up material based on it, haven't you? How many symptoms have you got by now? The problem is he, Mark moved on last night without asking me about it. But all I was going to say was it was like the movie Outbreak with the monkeys. That was <laughs> that was what you missed. Worth waiting for, oh, by the way. <laughs> Interrupt Nick Dixon at your peril. Speaking of fallout, uh, this one from Monday's Mail is a tragic tale of the consequences of shutting down society, Steve. Yeah, it is. Uh, an eight-year-old woman lost sight in one eye because uh, the pandemic meant cancellations of hospital eye appointments that she was meant to have. If she would have had them, she believes, and if you read the story, it's easy to believe, that she would have possibly uh, continued to have uh, both uh, eyes working. Eight-year-old Jeanette Harris... Um, she attended three appointments before the lockdown and then she says, I do blame the health board because they should have carried on with the appointments. And she does so much better than all of the arguments that spring out of this. Mm -hmm. She nails it. She blames the right people because it doesn't actually matter whether there should have been a tiny lockdown, huge lockdown, no lockdown. What should have always happened regardless of the level of lockdown, is that people should have had the care that they needed in the same way that we had a lockdown and we all didn't starve to death because we need food and we made provision for us to get Correct. Food. They should have put in provision. Now, they, to be fair, there are... The, even I had an operation during lockdown. I had a, a lump removed from my tongue. This thing grew. And I could get that sorted... And by a tummy tuck. Hey, and these. <laughs> but um, I managed to get that sorted out over the phone. You can't check the back of an eye with a... Yeah. camera on a phone these days. So more should have been done. Can I also just throw in how mm. bad this was? A letter from the uh, consultant um, in February said, I'm sorry to see that you've lost the vision in the right eye, but equally pleased that your left eye continues to do well. <sighs> Firstly, don't start with, I'm sorry to see. That's a slap in the face. Correct. And the rest of it is just, it's like the old joke about the good news and bad news. We've had to amputate your legs, but the guy in the next bed wants to buy your shoes. But they're an actual consultant sending that out. Yeah, uh, it, it is, uh, it's, it's a clumsily worded, to say the least. Oh, yes. Um, well, go, Nick. Well, no, I'm just making it easy for you now, Mark, by just, just cutting in. <laughs> but all I was going to add was that this says, the story says, after the pandemic forced cancellation of hospital appointments, but, of course, it was lockdowns. I, the article, by my calculation, doesn't mention lockdowns once, so there's this thing where you pass it on to the pandemic rather than saying lockdowns. That's what bothers me. Yeah. I mean, the issue we had during the pandemic, and, and clearly it was an unknown quantity in January 2020, 
I don't think COVID had a name in late 2019. That's how much yeah. of, a, of an abstract concept it was. It reached our shores, an early attempt to stop its spread. Now, we can debate till the cows come home whether a virus like COVID can be stopped. But certainly what happened, Steve, is there was an attempt to insulate the NHS from the virus. And I think that's an aspect of lockdown that hasn't been reflected on in, in any great detail. The fact is that by focusing on COVID, trying to make the NHS COVID secure, which we can all understand why, because people in hospitals are by definition vulnerable. Mm. But I just wonder whether that's something that will also need to be looked at for the COVID inquiry, is, is an attempt to, to make hospitals and medical settings COVID-free. Yeah, I mean, there's one very easy way to make sure that they're COVID-free, shut them down. So just to give right. you the spectrum of the ridiculousness of the exactly. logic, one end would be that. So and we did see GP surgeries literally bolted shut, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, and I know we have the online version and I got an operation during it, so there's, that's in the balance. Including but a bum lift. The, I mean, it's a two floors it stops at. But <laughs> you, don't want to know, you don't want to know where the basement is. But the point is, um, you're right, we, there were so many unknowns, but I'll tell you what was known, people need medical treatment, and so we should have continued to find a way to do that. Back to your lift, I'll take the service entrance. Ooh. Moving on now. We start with Sir Keir Starmer and the Beergate fallout. Keir Starmer and Beergate, what's going on? I don't know anything about this. Is it me with the Beergate one? Yeah, one there. Oh, brilliant. Enlighten me. I've been living under a rock Have for you? the last week. Well, the Who is Keir Starmer? The, the, he's a heavy drinker. No, he's not. Um, Shadow levelling up secretary. Don't you feel sorry for someone having that title? Um, Lisa Nandy refused to rule out a leadership bid should there be more problems with Beergate? This is following this Beergate memo. First point, refuse to rule out is lazy journalism, is it? She's not saying it, but she's not not saying it, and they get a story out of that. But previously, the excuse that Keir had was about... Uh, it wasn't a party, it was a break during a working day to have some food. Now, there's a memo that shows it was pre-planned. Mm. What? Someone pre-planned the concept of a break and a working day? Someone managed to uh, calculate that humans need food? Or is this Machiavelli? So I'm not sure if that is the smoking gun that some newspapers are making out. Um, I am really enjoying the way in which people have flip-flopped. They've spent months going, it just because there's a birthday cake doesn't make it a party. If, if that's true, then as does Cake Isle must be where it's all happening. And then all of a sudden, the worst thing they could ever imagine is someone had beer or oh, the debauchery of it. Um, I don't know whether any of this is worthwhile. But wasn't it Starmer's attacks on Boris Johnson in relation to the rules that, that makes this a sort of hot political story? It does. And... It does mean he could, he too could be a hypocrite. And I tell you what else I mean, is hypocrisy: yeah, making a rule and breaking it. So there's for sure, plenty I, I, of hypocrisy. I suspect. I mean, I think it, it, it seems pretty clear that any transgression wouldn't be on the scale of what happened at Number Ten. Yeah. And I've said I'm on record as saying that it was hypocritical and it was a disgrace for those that followed the rules and our leaders did not. Uh, however, the issue you've got is that the Labour Party denied that Angela Rayner was at this event for months, and it turns out, whoops, she was. Difficult to miss. Uh, then uh, Keir Starmer argued that he stopped food but then went back to work, except that this food was served before 10pm and it's not clear that you would carry on working late into the night, particularly as this gathering seemed to be a sort of fundraising... He's a late-night of... crazy... Uh, Maybe guy. that's what it is. Uh, the bottom line, the problem for him is that even if he's not in the wrong, we're asking these questions. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, look, the big question that everyone gets asked, should he have to step down if he lied... Well, maybe, but maybe Boris has to. Maybe do a pact with Boris. We'll go on three. And if ever, if ever there's someone you wouldn't trust to actually go on three, it's Boris Johnson. I, I, I'm assuming you would 
I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like Keir Starmer to be Prime Minister? Do you know, not necessarily, mm. but I... I don't necessarily. I also don't think that these two things are equivalent. Yeah. But they're being made out to be. Now there's a police investigation. There'll be a time when we can pretend that they are. I'm not. I'm not sure that he should go for this because I, I've said that Beergate is, was was a soap opera in its own right. So sorry, sorry, Partygate. Yeah. Get my gates mixed up. <laughs> uh, and I don't think necessarily he should go. Are there wider concerns though about his judgment? So, for example, you know, in relation to Partygate, he basically leverage that for all the politics he could get out of it at the expense maybe of the cost of living crisis um, this is a leader of the Labour Party that was seen to reverse or want to reverse the Brexit decision campaign for Jeremy Corbyn to become Prime Minister has he got too much baggage Keir Starmer on that I will absolutely hug you I would rather he spends less time talking about the variety of gates styles whatever crossing you've got and get stuck into cost of living stuff yes yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, by the way, do you think, does he survive this, Keir Starmer? Do you know, I actually don't know, because what a difficult situation. You know, if he gets fined, he's very much laid out his cards on what he thinks should happen to a yeah. person fined. And it would put pressure on Boris, wouldn't it, if, uh, if Keir was like, all right, bye, your move. But I think we know what his move would be. Uh, Steve, you're on TV. Uh, you say you don't know. Make something up. OK, I'm very sure that he will... Uh, about three and a half weeks until it happens. And there's our soundbite. <laughs> we'll have you back. Uh, Nick Dixon. Y yeah, you, you missed the best bit, which is that she, she called him Mr Rules. Uh, Lisa Nandy referred to him. She said he's Mr Rules, he does not break the rules. I don't know if that was a memo that went out or if it was just a spontaneous thing from her, but do you really want Mr Rules to be PM? I mean, it makes Boris seem even cooler, doesn't it? Imagine going for a job interview, like, what's the boss's name? Oh, it's Mr Rules. Would you actually want to work there, Mark? Not really. Or a teacher called Mr Rules would be Well, that be was Steve's fun. nickname at school. Oh, I'm sure yeah. it was. Uh, all, the, all the good rules. Well, Ideal gas equation rule, PV equals NRC. Oh, it's one of the best rules. Look at that. I'll tell you something. I've never been heckled with an equation before, but there's a first time for everything. Um, let's go to Monday's Telegraph now. And EasyJet have come up with drastic measures to deal with staffing levels, Nick. Yep, EasyJet removes passenger seats to cope with staffing crisis. Uh, not like them to come, come up with a cheap solution, but... Uh, they've, they've found a way to reduce the number of seats from 156 to 150 so they can reduce cabin crew from four to three. This is because of a rule where you must have uh, one cabin crew member for every 50 seats. I'm surprised they didn't just uh, ask passengers to stand and get rid of a few of their seats. But anyway, of course, they've, they've had a lot of trouble because they were hit by the pandemic or, if you prefer, lockdowns, which obviously devastated the industry. So, yes, they're having to strip back seats and other people have tried other things. British Airways have begun offering a £1,000 welcome bonus to lure cabin crew back. So, yeah, it's a bit of a crisis in the industry and that's EasyJet's solution. Are you a fan of the low-cost airlines? I mean, that should be an absolute back-of-the-net opportunity for any comedian. What do you think of low-cost airlines? Oh, yeah, then you could do the set on, yeah. What's, yeah. The, what's the deal with the way they all applaud when you land? That kind of... Yeah. I'm a huge fan. I prefer them to the posh airlines. I because think they're cheaper? Well, they're definitely cheaper, but I think there's an honesty about Ryanair and EasyJet. I think they roll their sleeves up, I, I think they know. try a bit harder. But do you still travel? I, you probably do, Mark. I gave up on the idea of travel when I wasn't necessarily prepared to take what some people call the, the dodgy death jab. I would never use that term, but, you know, I didn't want... If, if we, Some people didn't want to take the jab, let's say, and then it looked like we were never going to be able to travel again at one point, so I just gave up, in my heart, the idea of ever leaving the country. Luckily, we're in the best country already, yeah. England, not Britain, so... Yeah. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, for a while it was more easy jab than easy jet, wasn't it? <laughs> now, Nick, what's Hello. the longest you've ever waited to apologise? Is it in the same ballpark as this story in The Guardian? 
Uh, never complain, never explain, Mark. So I, I never, never apologize. But uh, this, yeah, this is well. Actually, I mean, I make, now we're making jokes, but it's a very serious story. This is apology eight years on for laws that expel Jews from England. So the Church of England is apologizing for its shameful actions, which is a thing it likes doing now. And this is the, the Synod of Oxford, who 800 years ago passed laws forbidding social interactions between Jews and Christians, forcing Jews to wear identifying badges, never a great idea, imposing church ties on them and banning them from certain professions. And of course, the Church of England was not created till the 1530s, but that's not usually a reason for the Church of England to stop apologizing for stuff. So it, 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 it wants, obviously it's a horrific thing historically, but then some people are pointing out to the Church of England, they weren't really responsible, do they really need to go around apologizing? But that's what they like doing now, instead of doing Christian Would stuff. Would you, uh, Steve, like to apologize for anything? Oh, yes, but, I mean, not this. <laughs> Where do we start? 800 years ago. Yeah, I've got enough in my lifetime to apologise for. Look, I mean, this is... Um, it, some people might say the apology is unnecessary, but then again, it, it's costless. So mm. why not? Would be but is costless worthless? Interesting. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm not... Sounds similar. Kind of rhymes. Yeah, I'm not the religious type, so most of this story I do think, oh, religion makes people do bad things back in the olden days. Mm. Again, can't pull the shocked face too much. Now, let's uh, go to Monday's Express and the passing of a great, Steve. Yeah, Dennis Waterman died at the age of 74. I think you can... The great thing about his career, I can tell how old you are by which TV show you know him from. Yes. My generation, Minder, maybe those slightly older, Sweeney. If you know him from New Tricks, you, you're too young, go to bed, it's a school night. Uh, if you know him from On The Up, well done. Thank you. Very good sitcom. Yeah. The, uh... did, did On The Up feature Joan Sims, the carry-on legend? Mrs Wembley. Just the one, Mrs Wembley. Just the one, Mrs Wembley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He had a great career. Uh, what he did is that he made the souffle rise several times in his career, didn't he? Yeah. Because you would have thought, right, nailed it with a Sweeney, uh, an icon of 70s TV. Rich, then he yeah. comes back and he does it in the 80s with Minder. And then he does it in the noughties with New Tricks. I was like, this guy was perennially successful. Yeah. And then there was that second kind of uh, bump to the career of, if you know him from Little Britain, I'd just keep that to yourself for a few days out of uh, respect. But I, there is a part of the story... Look, we I keep bringing it up that I've obviously lost relatives recently. I was sat by my dad when he passed away. His wife was by his side. So that is a cherishable thought, yeah. the fact that he died in such a nice way. He said he passed away very peacefully at home in Spain. His wife was by his side. So, of course, it's sad. But it's almost a, it's a thing to aim for, to have that, I think that level of success followed by a peaceful death. A hundred percent. That's exactly right. And, and uh, look, it's not easy to sustain a career in this industry, but he was somehow a hardy perennial of British yeah. TV, wasn't he? I love the way you look at me when you say it's not easy to sustain a career in this no. industry. <laughs> well, I mean, I think this is, this, is your, this is the big moment for this you. This is my I mean? moment, yeah, yeah. To, to quote Martin McCutcheon. Yeah, I, uh, I love Dennis Waterman, and I am the On The Up era. That's what I know him from. Obviously, Sweeney and the Mind are great as well. I loved On The Up. It, it had an impact. It's one of those things you watch when you're very young, in my case, and it, I loved it. And he sings the theme tunes. That's a great thing. He sang yeah. a lot of his own theme tune. I was so young. When he says, I'm the Lord and Master of all I purvey, I thought he was saying, all Upper Bay, which makes a kind of sense. But if you, have, you if you haven't seen it, it's about how he became a self-made millionaire, isn't it? And it's very funny. I don't know, does it stand up now? Have you been back and watched I've it? I've not watched it again no. since. But I remember, yeah, growing up, I mean, I'm older than you, but not by loads. And I, so I was, it was formative in my comedy career. I never thought of doing comedy back then. I was just learning more about it by watching people do sitcoms like that. Good stuff, I thought. Yeah, although I think remembering the great Dennis Waterman for On The Up yeah, is point. a bit like remembering Paul McCartney for The Frog Chorus. I know. Or Elton John for Hakuna Matata. <laughs> I know, I know. But someone's got to mention it, because everyone's just mentioning Mind One Line, so someone's got to, you know, shout out for On The Up.
Yeah, too right. And the late, great Joan Sims, by the way. What a legend. Just the one, Mrs Wembley. Just the one. Was the catchphrase didn't even need to make sense. No, of course they didn't. Just repeated it ad nausea. Yeah. yeah, that would do it. Back to Simpler Little Britain. time. Yeah, too right. Uh, well, uh, let's uh, go to Doctor Who now, Nick. Doctor Who? Who? Yes, well, whilst we're speaking of old TV shows, so Doctor Who, uh, Shuti Gatwa is replacing Jodie Whittaker as new Doctor in 2023. Now, speaking of our age, I'm obviously too old because I don't know who either of those people are. Presumably they feel the same about me. Uh, I dropped out of the whole Doctor Who thing after Sylvester McCoy. Remember him? Mm. And uh, I liked, Pete, I liked Peter, Pete, Peter Davison. My brother had the money box of the TARDIS with him on it. So that was my era. But um, as a kid, it was amazing to watch, wasn't it? It was sort of scary and mysterious, and the theme tune was amazing. I think we're supposed to be... This story, I think we're supposed to be either pleased or outraged, I suppose, because it's the first black Doctor Who. I sort of refuse to get into that, that level of culture war stuff, but I think that's why it's probably been included. I mean, I think in terms of the culture wars, nothing to see here. Uh, this guy is a talented actor. He's great looking, and I think he'll be a fantastic Doctor Who. I mean, I've not watched... It was in, I've not seen Sex Education, the TV show. Yeah. The I've watched it, actually, very slowly. Really? It's a good show. I think I still know the basics. Well, I've got an eight-week-old kid, so I must have got it right at least once. But um... I actually broke my phone rewinding it all the time. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> know the, you could do that with an iPhone. The idea of anyone caring who plays Doctor Who, as if... Because you have to suspend so much disbelief. There is someone who can travel in a way that breaks Einstein's rules on space-time in this five-dimensional box that manages to battle aliens and it never really affects the timeline. At the end of it, you go, I'll take all that. But a woman? No, come on. Is it, like, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you can absolutely follow it wherever it goes. Well, I mean, this is uh, the point. It's absolutely a non-story that a talented young black actor is now Doctor Who because, for me, the, the point about Doctor Who, it's a time-travelling eccentric man. That's the character. And therefore, uh, this is going to be great and he'll take it to a great place. I still have a problem with a female Doctor Who. Really? Just because... They can be doctors now, you Do know. Doctor Who, well, I know, it, it, for me, just, but perhaps it's, it, it's just prejudice, but it's like James Bond. It's just, it's a male character. It's James, James Bond, Bond's not human. Jane Bond, Mark. That's what you're trying to James say. James Bond is a human. That's the difference. If you buy into this story... Doctor Who's pretty human. N not long, long scarves and... Slightly human, slightly human in the American film, almost a reboot before the actual Christopher Eccleston reboot. Not Gallifreyan, come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you think? Female Doctor Who? Was that, was that, did they I mean, take a wrong turn there? Obviously, I'm against it. But you see, I'm not convinced about females in the workplace yet, so <laughs> you know, it's, a whole, it's a whole other kettle of fish. It's a good point. Thank you. I'm going to get in trouble with the brilliant <laughs> female team that work on this show now. <laughs> Um, let's uh, move on to The Times and a cautionary tale about allergies, Steve. Yeah, really sad. An inquest said that takeaway deliveries should have more information, more warnings about allergies. This is after a university graduate with a peanut allergy collapsed and died 71 minutes after taking two bites out of a chicken tikka masala pizza that he'd ordered on the Deliveroo app. And this is the point, that he'd made orders before from this place, but uh, there's claims that there was a different recipe that now used peanut powder rather than almond powder. And we live in good times for having allergen information if you buy a thing. So yes. If you go to a big shop and it's all written on the back, loads of allergies, and we often mock on stage about peanut butter, says may contain nuts and all that, yeah. But the point is it's Not a good system. Not do all system. my material, please. <laughs> it's a good system. However, it's clear... I mean, if it's printable on a label, it's puttable on an app. So more can be done about it. I this. agree. I think it's a tragic story. So... 
I have some personal experience because I went out with someone who had a very severe nut allergy and they were very beautiful. They're a very beautiful person. You have to be stunning to get away with being that annoying because it's it's so difficult to have a, a severe nut allergy. You have to ask every waiter and waitress, like, does this have nuts? And then they say, uh, I'm not sure, I'll check with the kitchen. And they're all a bit vague about it. And, and people are like, well, it can kill me. So it's very difficult to have. And the labels, you look in the supermarket, you find there's about two things in the whole supermarket you can eat because everything has nut traces or met nuts once, you know what I mean, is related to nuts. So it, I, I sympathise a lot because it's, an, it's, it's a very... You actually, you actually dated someone even more complicated and high-maintenance than you. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> there had to be one person... Did, did, she know that, did she know that you contain nuts? Did you, did you have that conversation? <laughs> I, I'm, are we allowed to say that at this point? Um, yeah, I... Family show, folks. I know, I, I didn't raise that, but, um, yes, it's amazing. that there are, there are occasionally more hypochondriacs out there than me. There's only one. You know, they've been discovered. But, it, but let's... You realise your ex is now watching this show. Well... Just... Eating cashew nuts, Kate. <laughs> Damn you, Dixon. <laughs> it was a jape all along. Well, I've eaten a lot of Snickers since, but and they taste like freedom. But the point is, <laughs> um, the point is very serious. I do want to shout out. It, the nut allergy people, it is a very real thing. And uh, people need to be... They need to make it clearer whether things have nuts in... And, Got and, to. Yes. Too right, too right. Very serious, uh, serious situation. Let's have information, let's have labels, and let's make sure that this tragedy doesn't happen again. Monday's Guardian next, and a story I know you love, Steve, an incredible swap. This story, I know it shouldn't wind me up uh, the most out of all the stories, but for some reason it does. The story of a painting by a Canadian folk artist, Maud Lewis, traded for a meal uh, in a restaurant, could fetch 35,000 Canadian dollars. So, I mean, it's looking better than the sandwiches. It was the better option of the two. But this is uh, Irene Damas and her husband Tony ran a small restaurant in Ontario in the 70s where they would trade with local craftspeople and artisans for their wares and arts. And already I'm thinking this, this is the kind of annoying place where I'd get attitude if I asked for the Wi-Fi password. This is... You would. Oh, you try right. plugging your laptop in one yeah, of their plug exactly. points. Exactly. Winding me right up. She, Irene said, Mind you, it wasn't just an ordinary grilled cheese sandwich. It was a great sandwich with five-year-old cheddar and beautiful bread. $35,000! Don't make out you've done some sort of an OK deal. You're absolutely minted. Uh, but if you think about it, she didn't even make the bread. She traded with local artisan bakers. It's a pyramid scheme. Of course it is. It winds me right up. Oh, nicely done. She's basically a Bernard Madoff times 100, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. It is curious, isn't it? The sort of amazing artefacts that have passed through people's hands in history. Stuff in the attic that they thought had no value and it might have been a Picasso. Yeah. I I'm old enough to remember growing up in the 70s, there was a great fashion for tearing out Victorian fireplaces and putting in... Like, what you would do is you'd basically sort of have this awful formica sort of wood in front of what was the fireplace and then a ring heater. <laughs> that was all the rage in the 70s and 80s. And people would, didn't know what to do with these Victorian fireplaces, so they would go into a skip. Yeah. And, they would just, and now they fetch for thousands. So one man's meat is another man's poison, isn't it? Well, it was grilled cheese. Yeah, well, each to their own. As long as it's vegan-friendly, I'm happy. One from Monday's son. And is this the gayest house you've ever seen, Nick? Yes, my neighbours threatened to kill me if I painted my home rainbow colours. And that also happened to the person in this story. Because um, that's the headline. That was a little joke. Did you get it? It was quite sophisticated. Mark, Mark, Mark missed it. So this is uh, someone who painted their whole house in rainbow colours. And, uh, and his, house, his hair's rainbow colours as well. And the crazy thing is he's not even gay. No, he totally is. Um, so this is the story. He, 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 uh, he, his neighbour said he got wind of the fact they wanted, he wanted to paint his house rainbow colours. They came and threatened him and tried to beat him up, which he then reported to the police, and they got done for uh, unlawful assault. And then he's now painted the whole thing 
uh, rainbow colours anyway, and that's essentially... I mean, that's most of the story. It's a beach house in Australia. And, and I say good luck go. to him, don't you think? It's got some pictures. Yeah, I mean, some people are obviously concerned about the resale value of their homes, but uh, in the end, the rainbow colours have triumphed. The, the colours weren't in the right order. Ooh. Roy G. Biv, I was looking at those, he had... They weren't going to the right one. Do you mean in the order of the rainbow? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What's the Not the your OCD or anything. <laughs> right. I, I love it. You noticed that immediately. It was pure rain, man, wasn't it? This is quite triggering for old uh, yeah, Alan. Yeah. Don't throw any so toothpicks Roy on of the York floor. gave battle in vain. R, red, O, orange. You would be round there beating him up, but not because of homophobia. <laughs> it's a very Because of pure... The, you can have them in reverse order because you get the second rainbows. You know, when it's, yes. it's bright enough, you get the second rainbow slightly further out from that extra weird effect in the little raindrops. Yeah. But come on. There's only one rule with rainbows. Do you think that's enough to warrant threatening him and beating him up? I mean, I didn't, so no. No. No, okay. no nothing, nothing uh, warrants that. Uh, there was the uh, woman who owned a posh house in Chelsea, and I think she struggled to get planning permission for something. So by way of protest, because I think all the neighbours said they didn't want this planning application to go in, so she just painted her house in really garish stripes just to annoy them. Because she didn't even live, actually, in the house. She just owned it. She was like a landlord. She's like, oh, look, the neighbours have been beastly and said no to my plan, so I'll just paint some stripes and there's nothing they can do about it. And similarly, there was a builder, I think, on the south coast who had complaints about his house, and so he painted it made it spotty. So it's a bit <laughs> of a... seems to be a bit of a I'm phenomenon. I'm against neighbours. That's my stance. Yeah. You know, people who are near you, yeah. I'm against that. Mm. I think you should live in a compound. I think that would suit you well. Thank you. Well, I grew up in the country, surrounded by nothing, just the animals, and I, I formed an understanding with them. And I, I, I get on much better with owls and wolves. You are feral, aren't you? Yes. And you, you shed in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what? And you, you My... nest, you nest, don't you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a valid human too, with feelings. You do your business in all sorts of funny places. You're quite, you know, you're a proper little scamp. <laughs> a human squirrel, if you like. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Which is surprising that woman went out with you with a nut allergy. I know, but I've got a very good personality. Ah. We'll be the judge of that. Moving on, the weather is turning warm. You've made your pims, gathered your quiches, laid out a blanket. What could go wrong if you're Italian, Steve? You can't have a picnic in Rome. Not with all the pigs going around, boars, technically. So it's not just a joy police thing. The problem is they've got issues with wild boars over there. Now, part one was that people were being attacked. There's 23,000 wild boars living in or around Rome. Lovely place. Uh, and there was a curfew put in because of these wild boar attacks. Add in to the fact that they are worried about what they're called incursions, which sounds more military planned than... I mean, it's not very wild, so maybe look at that. But um, this African swine fever has been detected in the dead animal, one of the dead ones. They're worried about it. People who go for walks now have to wash their shoes like we had to do yeah. in foot and mouth. But, and I know this is heartless of me, it seems like problem two solves problem one. They're worried about there being so many wild boars attacking people. A disease has turned up that only kills wild boars and not humans. I mean, why should we care? But then again, when in Rome. Yeah, let rip is what you're saying about clever. the pigs, aren't you? Yeah. You missed his point, and he said, when in Rome, and that was good. Thank you. And actually, I'm, and can I actually, say... It, it, was, it was worthy of repetition. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I like to repeat Steve jokes and, and claim credit for them. Can I just say, Mark, I'm, I'm bored of this story. Bored. Bored. Like a wild boar. Thank yep. you. Because we're going to get another... We had monkeys last night. We're going to get another animal-based flu story every day now, forever. Because we've yes. had COVID, it's just... It might not be animals, but we're going to get constant... Scary virus stories, mainly that come to nothing until the one that kills us all, obvs. <laughs> but, you know, that probably won't be for a while. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, look, uh, we'll uh, resist any more pig-based puns as we get to our next story, and it's the Telegraph. Desperate times call for desperate yet admirably ingenious measures, Nick. Yes, desperate Zimbabweans boiling nappies to get high in new drug craze. So, um, drug users say sodium polyacrylate is possibly the pronunciation. Steve will tell me later. The absorbent part of a nappy gets them high enough to carry on with their grim daily lives, which is such a sort of day-to-day uh, -day phrase, their grim daily lives. I mean, it's a sort of horrific and sort of grimly amusing story at the same time. It says they scrape the nappies clean, then boil them, and a thickish white stuff emerges, as it so often does, and this is put into the bottom of jars and sold. And um, one bleak story here from Miriam23 saying that she took the nappy mixture to give her the courage to do sex work, which is the bleakest sentence yet on headliners. So this is obviously the, company, the country's got massive economic problems. People have no money. They've resorted to smoking nappies, and it's known as the juice of pampers, is what it's uh, colloquially known as, and it just gets worse from there. Really, someone says the nappy mixture gives me a lot of strength when I'm doing my job. This is a gardener who gets it for who earns four pounds a day, and is so. Anyway, it's people uh, doing nappy drugs because they're broke. So, firstly, they should if it gets you high, they should have called it pampers grass. That would, um, that would do the job. But they scrape the nappies clean and then boil them. Why don't you use clean ones to begin with, fresh ones? Because if you want something that makes you feel better about your day, don't huff a dirty nappy. At least you'd feel like, hmm, at least I'm getting a clean one. I sniff a lot of nappies these days. Yes, uh, you are the father of one. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yes. Uh, little one, uh, Steve Jr. is how old now? Eight weeks. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. That's, so... that's quite a strange juxtaposition, sort of people using nappies to get high and Steve's... Beautiful news well, about you sniff the nappies. Ah. Because you have to work out whether they've been used or not. Yes, it's a little uh, one thing leads to another. Now you're addicted to I didn't the juice I of pampers. But I am sniffing it ten times a day. So now I think about it, maybe I am. Yeah. You, you, someone worrying. says here, it's a great life. Someone's written here. The, um, they'll, if they have this nappy uh, stuff, they'll be plastered the whole day and will not even have to worry about food or women. What a life. Yeah. But it is at the we, same time... We can but dream. At the same time, it is a grimly serious... Like, this is the problem with this show. We're, we're on the edge because it is also a grimly... Do you know how this... Not to give viewers ideas, but do you know how this is imbibed? It goes into a jar. Do they eat it, smoke that, it? That's what I couldn't find throughout the article. Inject it? What happens? But the fact that it's in the jar makes me wonder if they, if they do eat it. I don't know, Steve. What do you do? I, I just go raw, straight in. Neat. Yeah. That's how I like it. But, but do, you, um, do, you like, do huggies give you the munchies? The, well, I imagine, if anything, it'll cure that, because yeah. a sniff of his nappy, and I don't really feel like eating for a while. Um, I also don't think that sodium polyacrylate could turn into any sort of psychoactive drug or anything. It's, it, it's not a fancy chemical, it's just a couple of double oxygen bonds, single oxygen bond with a negative on it. But that's all you've got going on there, so that's not going to get you. No, it says that clearly. You don't have to worry about food, Mark, or women. So, no, no yeah. munchies, no woman, no cry. Smoking nappies, don't try that one at home. Yet more science, this time it's in The Guardian and it might be a bit more useful to humanity than sniffing nappies, Steve. It is amazing. So it's a two-pronged approach to try and deal with cancer. Mm. There are viruses that attack tumours. Um, and so they happen anyway, but we can then take them into labs and make them stronger. We can... What's that, scientists messing with a, with a virus? Oh, scientists shouldn't play God. Well, it is curing cancer, so maybe a little bit. Yeah. And um, the problem is the human body would recognise these viruses as being a pathogen, attack it. So they're useful for surface-level cancers, like a melanoma. But these scientists at the University of Sheffield have found a way of effectively coating them in magnets so that you can steer them to where you need to. You know like when you put your magnet under the table and make your keys move, like it's a magic yes. trick? Yeah, yeah. It's literally that, 
but a lot smaller. And instead of trying to make these nanoparticle um, magnets, these magnetic domain uh, bipoles, what they do is there's a little bug that produces them. And they, obviously it's better because when, when nature manages to do it, it's just a great way of doing it. And they produce these ferromagnetic bits so they can uh, tap into the Earth's uh, magnetic field and, and navigate. But you take these small things, coat these viruses and then steer them into the tumour to do the, the business in there. It's fascinating. I mean, I hopefully, hopefully this will cure cancer. It'll probably stop you going through the airport scanner for a while, but who cares? Yes, a cure for cancer is the ultimate holy grail, isn't yeah. it? I mean, because you need a virus that's specific to each type of tumour, mm. this might not end up being the cure-all, but curing some is good enough. You know, any individual life that gets prolonged by this technique, yeah. Yeah, too right. A rare good news story in relation to viruses. Monday's Mail are reporting on a big night in boxing. Who better to educate us than the most masculine of... <laughs> Pursuits and the most masculine of men, Nick Dixon. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, and this is way more important than curing cancer. This is Canelo versus Bivol. So if you miss this, Canelo is known as a pound-for-pound -pound great in boxing. He's won at middleweight, super middleweight and light heavyweight. He, his only loss previously was to Floyd Mayweather, which was an even lighter weight of 153 pounds. But last night he got beaten by uh, Dimitri Bivol, or Bivol, who... Um, he managed to beat him on points, which is unheard of because Canelo's a big champion. He's fighting in Las Vegas. He's from Mexico. He has all his fans there. Everyone said he'd have to basically be knocked out to even... You'd have to knock him out to get a draw, as the phrase goes. But yeah. actually, he was beaten narrowly on points, 115 to 113, which means Bivol beat him comfortably by way more than that. So that's very controversial because people are saying, hey, we need to change this because the, the, the judges are so dodgy. But he won so comprehensively, they still gave him it. They just gave him it by way less of a margin than they should. If he'd have won one more round, he'd have got a, a draw, which was absurd. So this is a bit of a letdown for Canelo because he's, he's known as this great fighter. There was even talk of him fighting Uzik at one point, who's a, which is absurd because he's a, one of the best cruiserweights of all time, just smashed Anthony Joshua at heavyweight. So people started to think that Canelo can beat anyone at any weight class, and he beat Kovalev at light heavyweight. So people are like, this guy can just beat anyone, even though he's five foot eight and a half and is more of a middleweight. But it turned out he did hit his limits here. But to be fair to Canelo, he was trying to achieve greatness. He doesn't just want to win easily. He wants to be one of the all-time greats. So there you yeah. go. Yeah, and, and is that going to happen, do you think? It's already happened. People will definitely recognise him as one of the all-time greats. It's just that it's turned out he's not a total god and he can be beaten. And so now he's going to have to regroup. Uh, what is the attraction of boxing? Because it's, it's a massive sport, but, but some people tune out when, when boxing is discussed. It's men punching each other in the face, but it's more, and now women, but it's more than that. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the heroic aspect, Mark. Teddy Atlas always explains it well, the great trainer who trained Mike Tyson. It's that these guys are prepared to put their lives on the line and it's a sort of primal thing. They're, they go in there and they could actually die and it's very high stakes. Mm. And that's a different kind of person that's prepared to do that. It's a, a warrior mentality that we don't encounter in everyday life. Maybe. I see. Oh, good yeah. stuff. Well, well let's uh, continue to fight our way through the remaining stories of the show. The Times now. And there's um, a more pure love than a bond between man and dog. Let's talk about this one, Steve. Yeah, there's a new book coming out, Wonder Dog, How the Science of Dogs uh, Changed the Science of Life. Early caveat, written by a dog owner and dog lover, who says that dogs don't just stay with you because you are the source of food mm. and because they have a pack mentality. They love you. Cute. <laughs> They did some tests. <laughs> so it's all based on these tests, and I think it was in Japan, where they get dog owners to make eye contact with the dog for a long while. Weirdly long. I mean, some of it is like, you two, get a kennel. 
But eventually, nice. the, then you test the blood levels and see how much oxytocin you've got, which is like the, the love hormone, the hug hormone is how it's also known. So they could have just hugged the dogs. It's probably that good that they didn't. And you compare and contrast that with people who are raising wolves, and not only was there no increase in oxytocin in the wolves, the wolves don't like establishing eye contact, and probably at some point would just be like, I'll, I'll eat those eyes if they're on offer. Um, but the, the dog and human, both of us, have oxytocin after this. So we've evolved to fall in love with each other. I mean, I'm a cat owner, I've got two cats, and I, uh, I think this is too harsh. You know, I look at my, especially one of the two cats, who's, she's my favourite, and I do the slow blink that tells her that I love her. Yes. And she looks at me like she barely recognises me because... Maybe she caught a couple of episodes of Mash Report. Other than that, I'm just <laughs> waste around the house. It's, it's yeah. amazing. If you, st if you stare for half an hour into a dog's eyes in a slightly odd way, they'll get a 130% increase in oxytocin, and the human will get a 300% increase. So people really do love their dogs, but the wolves are much cooler. They're, like, not bothered. I see myself more as a sort of wolf figure, just kind of a cool loner. And it says it... Don't you think dog love has got a bit carried away with it? Don't you, like, there's a guy here with a dog called Oz. And it says, if Oz could speak, he could tell you when I last went to the toilet, at what point I went upstairs and at what point I came back and when I disappeared to take a call for a moment. I've had girlfriends like that. It's a bit much, isn't it, that level of neediness, don't you think? And Did you yeah. get oxytocin when you hug them? Yeah, I did, actually, <laughs> and uh, I miss it. But the thing is, I miss people, Steve, but... but... Have you, have you noticed dog love has just increased in our lifetimes in general? People already like dogs, we got on with dogs, but some people, like, kept them outside at night and things. Now that'd be seen as, like, a hate crime. Yeah. Like, people, the dog, dog love of dogs has become yes. more and more... We've infantilised dogs a bit, haven't we? But I just wonder if it's if based on this, cos it says dogs are sort of... We've become sort of hardwired with them, if actually our relationship with dogs is getting chemically closer over time. And also, we've given them a diet now which is similar to ours, which is why they're obese and getting type 2 diabetes. <laughs> We're not helping, are we? Not really. We, we say we love them, but, you know... Wolves are better off. Just a bit. Um, the subject of this next one from The Times wakes me up in a sweaty panic sometimes. Nick, tell us more. Yeah, this is about um, IT uh, company. Your work IT department knowing way more about you than you think. And I did notice just before the show, Mark chucked his laptop out the window. Mm -hmm. And um, this is... This, I mean, someone who works for a drinks company here who's remained anonymous says um, <laughs> that he worked in a big drinks company. I mean, he says, when I met the warehouse workers for the first time, I already knew exactly what porn they watched. <laughs> so that should give you an idea of the level of knowledge that your employer has. Don't use work phones or laptops, people. It says that they have, so, so, some of them have software that logs every keystroke that takes place on a work device, and they can hijack your microphone or webcam. So you've got to be very, very careful. Some of it's necessary for, like, uh, trading floors that have regulations and stuff, but basically, just keep a burner phone, be like a drug dealer in the wire. But also, I mean, if, if you are worried that your workplace has a keystroke logger on there, if you're, if you're running Windows, you go into accessibility tools, open up the on-screen keyboard, and you can type in just using the mouse. I mean, not that I particularly expertise <laughs> in getting away with it. You can get a VPN as well. A VPN. Like, yeah, you've definitely got... browser. Yeah. You can run it from a flash drive. You don't even need to install it as an app. You, when you go on, the, the world thinks you're, like, in Jamaica or something, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'm getting to that age now where my bosses don't have to worry about me watching porn at work, OK? I'm just on eBay looking at a waffle iron. Yeah. Oh. And that's still not work, Mark, so that would, should be punished as well. well. Seems unfair to me. Shall we finish on Aliens, Steve? We can do, but this is a Daily Star alien story, so pretty much all of it is nonsense. Aliens could already be living with us. The word could is doing so much work in that sentence. Scientists have noted that our search for trying to track down life might be fruitless because they might be already here. 
Uh, let's have a look at a bit of string theory. Why is gravity so weak? Well, maybe there are other dimensions than the four that we live in. Yeah. That's why gravity is a force whoops into there, and that's why it looks weak to us. And then yeah. someone says, what happens if these aliens live in those other dimensions? Oh, gosh. We'll never know. Yeah, they're in the shadow biosphere, it says. And I just want to counter Steve by saying they are already here, definitely. Because when anyone does a DMT experience, and I don't approve of that kind of thing, but when people take these hallucinogenic drugs, which I almost said right, they see the clockwork elves. And these are kind of like alien beings that already live amongst us. Right. And then there are more benign beings you can access as well. So the aliens are already here, Steve. You just have to take enough drugs. Well, you have to enough sniff enough nappies. Yeah. That I was going to say, well, then you beat me to it. Sniff enough nappies, Steve, and you will see the clockwork elves. That sounds like a, a good afternoon. Well, it sounds like <laughs> it to me. Uh, thanks to the amazing Steve N. Allen and the equally amazing, the wonderful Nick Dixon. Thanks for your company. I'm back on Friday at nine. See you then. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.